Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, always, I clarify, I am not actually a rabbi. I am an ordained spiritual director, but I'm not a rabbi. If I was a rabbi, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. Uh, something I always enjoy is my rabbi friends say, what do you mean by that? They seem to wonder if it's a pejorative. It's not. It's that uh, I think what I'm really dealing with in my own mind these days uh, I think like most people who have uh, engaged in religion in their life, it's not, there's this perception that you're certain about things if you engage a religion, that you know, everything is about now nailing it down. Uh, but the people that I've been fellow travelers with, I've always noticed, like myself, have an ebb and flow to their proximity or distance from either their religion or from ideas of what God is or what is good and what is bad, that these things are fluid and we move through them in, in our own way. And for me, it's important that spirituality be the basis of my, of my faith. Um, faith itself is a loaded word. It's, it seems to connote that same notion of certainty, but also the fundamentalist approach, people of faith. And there's a righteousness involved. You know, I, I, I remember years ago, my wife and I, we wanted to go to New York City. It was our only trip we've actually taken to Manhattan together. Uh, but we wanted to go and it was late November and we didn't realize that this was the highest shopping time in New York City uh, for Christmas. Uh, and we couldn't find a hotel in Manhattan. So we ended up in Brooklyn uh, and we ended up in a Orthodox Jewish neighborhood because there was a, a primitive version of Airbnb at the time uh, available and they had separate single beds in the room. And, you know, we'd asked that they move the beds together. They didn't. So we had to do it ourselves. Um, but I was surrounded by ultra Orthodox Jewish people and uh, I'm a Moroccan Jew. And the way we do things is uh, as Sephardic Spanish speaking Jews, literally is what it means. Um, we do tradition. Orthodoxy is a whole other idea. It's not traditional Judaism. It's Orthodox Judaism. It is every letter of the book. And it was fascinating to be in this milieu. So at one point we went to get our breakfast at this local corner bagel shop that had, you know, we wanted a bagel and cream cheese. And we were, I was waiting in line. I ordered it and these yeshiva kids came running in and they all ordered their stuff. So I waited at the back for my bagels. Uh, my wife was outside looking around and there was this young man and this older man, and they were in a conversation. And the young man was very agitated. And he was, you know, he was talk, talk, talking like this, and they threw me out of the house. They, 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 I don't know why Orthodox people talk faster, but <laughs> often they do. They do. They wanted me out of the house. They just threw me out. And the guy's listening, and he said, well, what, 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 what did you do? And he said, well, you know, um, I'm going to tell you something. This is very important that you, it stays between us, loud enough for me to hear, of course. And he says, um, I have a gambling uh, problem. I've, I've been gambling. And then he goes on and he's self-flagellating. And I'm, I'm just dying for the guy. He's a kid, you know, I just feel so bad for him. And the older man finally stops him when, he, when there's an appropriate moment. And he says, do you think you're the only person that could have a problem like this? Well, uh, I don't know anybody else. No one at the yeshiva, nobody has a... And the older man says, I have a gambling problem. And it stunned the kid. And it made me realize that I had had this bias about people who are of faith, 
of fundamental faith, that they're certain about everything. And then I realized that perhaps what they're trying to do is cling to a roadmap that will help them get through this life and that they look to an exterior shell to create that protection for them. And they figure if they do everything that you're supposed to do, it might actually be a beautifully written map of life. And I just stopped judging at that point and just thought, well, like me, they're, they're, they're just you know foolish people stumbling through their lives. Um, so that was a wonderful thing. I just wanted to throw that inside in because the other thing I noticed was we went to a, Ju a Judaica store and believe me, there are a lot of Judaica. Israel doesn't have as many as Brooklyn. Uh, and there were beautiful stuff in there, like the, the Hanukkah, Hanukkah, the menorah, you know, $1,700 silver menorahs they were just lovely. Uh, but I noticed one man who was immaculate in his clothing. And I started talking to him and I asked him about, you know, the way he, as uh, Reb Zalman from my tradition of Jewish renewal says, how do you get it on with God? So I asked, how do you get it on with God? And he laughed and smiled and he said, uh, I'm a Musar person. Uh, I'm about soul traits and the refinement of your soul traits. And one of them is order and part of that order. And another one is honor. And part of that is to present yourself in the best possible way you can, uh, to show respect for other people and for yourself. So that got me all interested in Musar. So that's my 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 thing for, th for today. I'm gonna explore that with somebody who actually knows way more than I do about Musar because he's one of the original practitioners here in Canada. Uh, and he's an old friend. Uh, and we've both traveled our own roads and kept bumping into each other on the way. So we're together now. He's got his own podcast called Conscious Curiosity. And it's Moja Silver. Moja, hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. Thank you so much, Ralph. Thank you. Nice to be here. Here, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Wherever here is. Here. Well, I've, I've, I'm in the middle of an Eckhart Tolle eight-week seminar on oh. presence, on total presence. Ah, so here is here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Not, not. Hey, you know, uh, I'm going. Everything I'm going to say to you is based on who I think you are from what I've known of you in the past, right? Or what I'm hoping people will think of me in the future. Uh -huh. I'm just here. Nice. So here is great. I actually, someone just asked me a question this morning about, can you dig into your past? Like, could they pick up a photo of when they were very young? Mm and be present in the past. Oh, I see. And I, I thought it was an interesting question because I think Eckhart Tolle probably has the answer that if you can experience the photo in the here and now while holding on to that memory, then that's presence. Well, except there's the other part of memory, of course, which is one of the reasons why uh, eyewitness accounts of crimes are really quite poor which is we we add ideas to memory and we add biases and we we embellish our memory and we deny our memory uh, so it in and of itself doesn't exist right only true. this exists true that well that's true too <laughs> <laughs> oh, said like a Talmudic scholar and that's true too that's true too <laughs> on the other hand <laughs> So tell me a bit about your journey right now. Um, my journey right now. So 
or my or you just talked about character development that journey yeah. or my journey right now whatever one you want to talk about oh <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um my journey right now is i i was an engineer and then my career was marketing in high tech but that was how i made money to put food on the table but my passion was always um presence consciousness spirituality um just what am i doing in this world and back in the 80s i'd been in a gestalt therapy group for 3 years with with harvey friedman who passed away uh, just over a year ago he was kind of like the right hand man of fritz perls the founder mm. of of modern day gestalt therapy and i loved it and that kind of kept me going outside of making money to pay for the family and so 5 years ago i went back to school and did a 5 year training program in gestalt therapy and i'm just completing a 3 year training program in trauma therapy in peter levine's um trauma therapy called somatic experiencing and i've been seeing clients for the last couple of years so can i back you up to the and i loved it <laughs> what did you love about gestalt i loved um well we just talked about presence so i loved the here and now focus in gestalt therapy the focus that says i craft all these beliefs about how i am in the world up here in my head but once i can drop out of that and see that i'm just here and i don't have to start shaping um like boundaries and i don't have to shape um armor to protect me and things that hold me back i can just be here now and that's all that matters yeah that got so, exciting it, it yeah. woke me up it it kind of it woke me up out of my rigid structured engineering self right right and said wow there's like a whole piece of modia that has just been ignored and now it's time to embrace it so it, how did that manifest itself in the way you lived your life once you made that realization i helped start um kind of a flaky new age community in toronto a jewish <laughs> a Jewish renewal community. Well, you know, as a marketer, I think you've just sunk your product. <laughs> kind of a flaky. <laughs> like, well, it was oh. wonderful. No, but I loved flaky, but I loved flaky. <laughs> I got to get a t-shirt that says I love flaky. <laughs> but it's truly, you know like um like in Judaism there are regular very struct in traditional Judaism yeah. there are structured prayer services and they're the same every day basically, right? Yeah. And so we would like turn that on its head and just say like what feels right, right right now to express myself in this world and um and then that journey took me off for a year I left I left my job at the telephone company and traveled for a year spent half almost half a year in Israel contemplating whether to become a rabbi but not that kind of rabbi Yeah <laughs> and, Yeah yeah and what what So what was that what was the conversation inside you about rabbi no rabbi I think the conversation was that I wanted to explore who I was in the world and help others explore who they were in the world in a in like a non-judgmental open accepting way and it became really difficult to be in yeshiva in religious seminary um because that wasn't that wasn't the mindset of the people in those days or maybe even now right 
And so it was a really, really painful time to be there, to recognize that I thought being a rabbi was going to be the way to do that, to achieve that. Right. And then coming up against, no, it's not. I'm the only guy in the seminary who's not wearing a white shirt and a black jacket. And Right. Yeah. So this wasn't a reform or conservative. This was an orthodox yeshiva. It was orthodox. And, and then I even dipped into like a Hasidic uh, uh, yeah. yeshiva. Yeah. Well, the Jewish renewal movement, when I became a spiritual director... I'm keeping in mind the conscious uh, curiosity that you're doing now as a spiritual director. um, That renewal movement, which is much more vibrant in the United States than it is here in Canada. There's an organization here, Olive Canada, uh, Cheryl Gilbert, the rabbi in Montreal is leading that. But um, what we like to call woohoo Judaism, um, I manifest now in something called uh, uh, the Jewish Men's Retreat, JMR, which is part of an organization I belong to called Menchwork uh, for Jewish men. And there, um, rabbis like a, two Canadian rabbis, actually, who, who are in the States, uh, Sean Zevit mm-hmm. uh, from Mishkan Shalom in Philadelphia, Mark Biller, who is in New York State. Right. I know, um, I know both those guys. Yeah. So, I mean, this is uh, Nadia Gross, uh, gr- great uh, rabbi teachers, but it was really an experiential and spiritually based, like I said in the opening, you know, just for me, I try to talk to people about the fact that spirit is about relationship and religion is about, um, I always call it a fitness program. You know, <laughs> if you want to get a six pack, you got to do the crunches, right? Uh, so, so Sabbath is one of those things that, you can say, I'll hang my hat on a Friday night, Saturday experience. If the whole world did Sabbath, our, our, our greenhouse gas emissions would be down 7% immediately. <laughs> Put it that way. Right? If we all just right. knocked it off one day a week and just were uh-huh. being and not doing, we'd actually be somewhere. So you... Can so I just go, can I go back a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you just said. So you, you just said spirit is about relationship. Yeah. And it really, like it hit home because it's a beautiful statement. Uh, can, can you say more about what spirituality is for you? Because you're a, you're a spiritual counselor, right? Or is right. That, is yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's spiritual director, which is horrible. It makes it sound like you have a clipboard and you're going, you, your neshama goes over there and your neshama goes, no, it, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, uh, but so for me, um, I think for a lot of people, you have to sort of back up to what religion isn't doing for a lot of people. And I have lots of rabbi friends who are perfectly aware of this conundrum of the hollowing out of the rituals themselves. So the difference would be, you know, there's uh, to get into the weeds for a moment, as an example, um, there's a prayer that's said every Saturday and there's always a kid who comes up to do it. He goes up to the, to the lecture and the bima. And then we sing back and it's so cute. You just want to shrivel up at that point. It's lovely. <laughs> right. But then you take someone like Shefa Gold uh, in the United States and Aviva Chernick does a beautiful version of this in Canada. And you take the first line without the last word and you go, Go from Ashrei Ashrei Vetecha Ojehalu Hasela to Ashrei Yoshrei Vetecha Ojehalu Ha Ojehalu 
and you repeat that for five minutes. Mm. So now you're sitting in, in the pocket of a spiritual experience as opposed to, and it's very comforting to sing the same songs uh, in a church or in a synagogue or in a mosque week after week or in a Gurdwara. It, it is very comforting. But if you ask people, what's your prayer experience? What, what, what are you getting? Most of the people I speak to are in prayer crisis. The only prayer they can do is not what they need. So there's the connection to the fact that you're not, don't have a soul, you are a soul. And there's a spiritual connection and spirit is, I always go to Martin Buber, to mm -hmm. I and thou, mm -hmm. a sacred relationship. If I can see the divine spark in you and you can see it in me, if, you, if I can see that there is no, you're not in the universe, you are the universe. You are the stardust that makes this place up. Right, so right. I, so um, I don't know if you know, but Martin Buber and I and thou is like a central um, pillar of Gestalt therapy. Beautiful. Is, is, is phenomenal. It's really the relational piece of Gestalt therapy. And so for me, when I sit with a client, I see the I, I see the thou, but I actually then I'm challenged to see the co-created space in between. The right. End. So it's I and thou, and the end becomes the thing that I get more curious about. It's like, how have we co-created this, this thing in the middle? Right, so Christ talks about whenever two or more are together, I am there. Mm -hmm. Right, there's a, yeah. there's an elevation by, and which is why the pandemic is so difficult, because our ability to connect to each other has been compromised. There's an element of fear in, in instilled in people that's counterintuitive. I see you on the sidewalk. I walk to the other side of the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. I see my grandchild, I wave at them on the porch, uh -huh. right? Um, more than, yeah. So more than that, I, I, when I cross the road because I see you coming, because mm -hmm. I'm afraid of COVID, I also feel my body tighten. Right. I shrink. And so, you know, when you were chanting before, you just gave it so much more space, so much more time, like time and space. Right, right. And for me, it's like that extra time and space is where I can now settle in to my spirit or to my spirituality. That's right. So the contemplative art, um, you know, it's only 30 years ago, I guess, when Arya Kaplan, the Jewish rabbi, spoke about Jewish meditation mm -hmm. because it wasn't considered part of the tradition. But every major religion in their fitness program has in contemplative peace right? Without it, without reflection and without stillness. And one of the problems I have sometimes with our religion and, and others as well is when the cleric is in their head, mm. where they can tell you how many angels on the head of a pin. Right. But when their congregant comes up to them and says, I, I, I lost my job and I, I don't know what to do anymore. And they're staring at them, and the lovely people, they mean well, but they're like, I, I've had several rabbis in my own orbit who just go, I, I, I don't know what to, I'm going to send them to you. Uh -huh. I, I, I don't know what to do. Because that's a, that's a different kind of, that's a different aspect that is much more about a spiritual, like we just said, that I, you know, sacred to sacred, heart to heart, holy listening. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's, tell me more about how Gestalt 
instills that I and thou into the process? How, how would it work if I'm the client? Um, that's a good question. Gestalt is actually is, is kind of a bottom-up therapy. So it's not what, let, let's figure out what you're thinking and start to fix your thinking. Right. Really, what is, the ex, what is the full experience of body, heart, and mind in relation with you? And so you might come and say, you know, I really lo I, I lost my job. I don't know what to do. I can't even tell my partner. I can't, I, right, I can't tell right. my friends, whatever. And then I would just feel into that. And I, so I, 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 I look for resonance. I try to resonate with the energy that that person, that the client is putting out. I attune to their energy field. And then that opens me up to be empath empathic. Wait, how do you, how do you tune to an energy field? It sounds great, but how do you actually yeah. get there? Um, I, I, I don't want to be coy about it, but it was kind of like years of training. So right. I, I was in a medit I, I, I was in a Buddhist um, community for 12 years. And so I developed meditation skills. I've been in Gestalt training for years, somatic experiencing. I try and get out of my head. Right. So I'll, I use my breath a lot. Um, I'll ground myself however I want to ground myself by pushing my feet into the floor, by feeling my back against the back of the chair, what it, whatever techniques I use to really settle into the space. And then I just reach out energetically to say, what, what am I sensing right now? And then I'll share that sometimes. So I might, so, so let's say I feel sadness. Someone just said they lost their job and I feel sadness come up in me. So I feel it physically in my body. It, maybe it's like up here in my chest or around my heart. I don't know at that moment whether that's my stuff that I'm bringing from my past or whether I'm actually resonating with the client. So I'll check it out and I'll say, I, you know, I feel sadness right now. How are you? Like what's going on for you? Right, right, right. And, you know, maybe like 60, 70% of the time I feel I've connected and resonated or attuned and they'll go, yeah, I really feel that sadness. And then, and then the sadness is now just sitting there between the two of us and we can be with that sadness and hold the space for it. Can you do it on Zoom? I find it harder, to be honest. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but yes, I find it harder because I think, I, I actually haven't thought about this until this now. I think when I see Zoom, I see a computer screen and I think technology and I think fast. And I got to move. I got to move, move, move. Wow, wow. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm so glad you asked that question because I had not thought of that. Yeah, that's interesting. That whole um, uh, environment that computers are about is, is, it's like we used to go to dinner parties and somebody would say, uh, I think uh, the show Elf was on for eight years. And so uh -huh. everyone goes, no, no, Elf was on for like three years. <laughs> and then you'd argue about it because neither of you had a way to prove it. And today it's just the second it's a debate, the phones whip out. Mm. How many seasons was Elf? <laughs> four, four <laughs> seasons. <laughs> it's just like all mystery. So, mm -hmm. Which is back to your what you just said before about religion versus spirituality. Right. That... You know, now you can just go to IMDb or whatever, or or, yeah. you, or Siri or right. How yeah. long? How long was Alphon? 
And in religion, you just flip open a book and you go, what's the answer? Well, I don't know if I totally agree with that because I think good religion is what's the question. Mm. Not what's the answer, because you can take a, a, a Torah portion or a chapter in the New Testament uh, and any uh, person doing a sermon on that can draw and discern things out of it. And it's the 40th time they've done this with the same t- chapter, right. this portion, because in it, there are questions. So if I read about Pharaoh hardening his heart, you and I could have entirely different things to say about that and different questions to ask about why would you, knowing that everyone is suffering, still do this? And then I could say, well, on the other hand, why would a government, knowing that climate change is, is, a, is real and, and the breakdown of our climate will be the poisoned gift to our children, how can they harden their heart and say, you know, it's about jobs? Mm. There's a, and, and then I could take another way of doing the sermon and say, it's a metaphor. We, we have our own Pharaoh in our heart, in our life. And it's, and it's a, a tyrannical force in our life. I must succeed. I must do this. I must get rich. I must get a Lexus, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so if, if you have Pharaoh in your heart, like we yeah. all do, yes. what question would you ask your Pharaoh? What is it that you actually want? Hmm. Right? Because we're, you know, Buddhists talk about a skillful life or an unskilled life, a skilled life or an unskilled life. And often what we want, if we discern, I think, is something good, something really good. How we get there in an unskilled way usually means it's, it's not going to work out very well. Uh-huh. Right. I, I want you. I want a better relationship with my wife. Therefore, I want her to stop doing this and stop doing that and stop doing this and stop doing that, and then we'll have a great relationship. Well, I've just, <laughs> I've just, uh, you know, peed in the in the pool. It's right. not going to happen. <laughs> right. So it's all. Uh, do you think it's anything more than relationship? When you say, "I just want." I want good. Do you think it can all be boiled down to, I want to find my place in the world in a, in a relational way? Well, there's so many layers, right? So the totally things I've been uh, uh, listening to have been very informative about ego. Mm-hmm. And the more I tell people, I am Ralph Ben Murgy. Uh-huh. And do you know who Ralph Ben Murgy is? What do you mean you don't remember I had a TV show? I and mean, what kind of a person are you? my ego is resisting being here and present in this manifestation. And I've put on, as Ram Dass would say, I've put on a space suit with a name tag that says Ralph Ben Murgy on it. Right. And Ralph Ben Murgy doesn't drink red wine. He drinks white wine. And Ralph Ben Murgy doesn't do this. He does that. So the ego and the, and the fear that is instilled in our egoic struggle perverts our true heart and perverts our ability to see clearly the other person and to see ourselves and to see our connection to the universe. Cause that's the spiritual conversation for me. Right. Me, t- me too. And the example I give is sometimes I'll ask someone who I know has children 
I say, how many, how many kids do you have? And they'll go, well, I've got one, two, three, four, whatever it is. I go, really? You have children? They're yours? <laughs> Isn't that an egoistic <laughs> statement? <laughs> it's like the difference between pet owner and pet companion. <laughs> <laughs> right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, but it, it's, 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 it's rewarded. I mean, the, the whole way we've, we've created a material uh, society that is more and more consumptive and neoliberal, uh, the harder it is to find a spiritual center. You know, I, I remember when they got rid of Sunday shopping. Oh, in yeah. Canada, and this being what, 83% Christian, this country. Mm. Uh, at the time, I just thought, what'd you do that for? Mm. I mean, it's not even my Sabbath. And yet, you just gave up a day where everybody had the day off, where people didn't have to go work for the weekend, where they could actually hang out with their family what'd you do that for? Right? So for me, if we don't create sacred space in our lives, and if we don't create sacred space in being present, walking down the street and actually accessing our true self, not the one we've constructed for everyone's edification or out of fear. Mm -hmm. If we take off the goalie equipment right. and just, and just walk down the street, we'll actually notice the different species of tree on our street. Mm. Right. We'll, we'll notice that that house is, hasn't been painted in, in a while, but that one, oh, look what they did. Right. Uh, we'll so notice our fingers are getting colder at the tip because yeah. we're present, right? So then right. ask a person once they're present questions that you ask them when they're not present, you'll get completely different answers. Right. That's beautiful. And it's, and we've been dancing around this, um, kind of coming up with the same answer each time. In terms of time and space, that it's that it's giving space and time to everything around you, which I would call support. It's finding support for you to be in the world, but it's also finding the space and time within you, mm. so, that, so that you recognize your internal supports. Yeah, I had a client who had been given a, a nine-minute curriculum for stress reduction, okay. three three-minute things to do in a day. And God love her, she she was too busy. <laughs> and, and I actually totally understood what she meant. Right. I, I, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't have time. Because, believe me, the challenges are real and her time, it, it, it's about caring for others. and it, It's enormous. Mm -hmm. But I thought, but I said, so I just repeated it to her. You don't have nine minutes in a day to do this. And she paused and you know, she went, well, when you put it like that. <laughs> and yet I'm her. I'm no different, you know. Uh, right. And, as, and when you counsel people or, or, or attempting to have healing relationships with anyone in your life, uh, you have to be, I think, good at being a wounded healer mm. and, and not a righteous healer. Right. You know, I, mm. the warning bells for me is when I see the righteous cleric, the righteous healer. Uh, I remember I, I had a bad back in my four, early 40s. Every one I went to told me the last person I went to was wrong. Uh -huh. Oh, you went to an osteopath. Well, they don't know anything. I'm a naturopath. <laughs> Let me do. Oh, no, no. You're a naturopath. No, no. You got to be with a doctor. You know, come on, a real doctor. Don't mess it. And I just thought, do you not realize what you're doing to me? Each one of you is telling me that you're the only one with an answer. 
and that I've been wasting my time in chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And, and so they were righteous healers. Right, right. Right, orthodox. I, I, healer, I right? wonder if you want to blend. So when you say righteous and wounded, wounded for me hit, hits me in my body and righteous takes me up to my head. Right. And, I, I wonder and your you, ego. Into my, right, right. Right, wounded allows for vulnerability. Wounded also allows for my body to have a voice and so that my ego head, like my mind isn't just controlling absolutely everything that goes on with me as well. Yeah, the body tells the story, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? And yet we pretend the body has nothing to do with it. It's, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work with aging right now. And what do people, uh, the go-to for aging is physical. Mm. Hip, hip replacement. Uh, everyone's going to have Alzheimer's. No, actually one in 10 people is going to have Alzheimer's. 70% of them are going to be women. Like your fear is of decrepitude and, and the declinist view of getting old is about physical. Th- I have lots of physical things at my age. At six, I'll be 65 in a week. I have lots of things at my age that are not going the way I wanted them to physically, but I have lots of other things that are. The fact that I'm cogent is pretty good. Right. Uh, right. But I have to, I have to see them more as, uh, I guess it's more God wrestling than, than, than hiding in a corner, hoping nothing else happens. I, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's compassionate acceptance is what's missing. It's like, I have a friend in Vancouver who's a palliative care physician. Mm. And um, I asked her if she'd be willing to talk about it. And she said, it's really difficult to talk about such holy work. I was like, wow, that's like, it just, struck me so hard it was like that's such a beautiful thing to yeah. realize that her work isn't to think about should this person have a hip replacement or how much more morphine today right right but it's like it's holy work to help them come to a level of acceptance of where they are do you know uh stephen jenkinson no canadian uh, wrote a book called die wise okay and he was a palliative care guy for like 25 years on hospital row in university avenue in toronto um, but he, he says some beautiful and brilliant things about our death phobic society and how we, at this point now with technologies and, and legislations, we don't want to do the dying part. Right. We just want to be dead. Right. Like, don't, don't let me suffer. Just let me die. Now, it's easy for me to say, cause nobody's told me this week that I, I I'm terminal. Uh, so I, uh, my fear isn't up. It has been, I've had illnesses that have made me thought, Ooh, this could be it. Uh, and a lot of people, as they get, uh, any age, uh, you know, people in their fifties get all kinds of issues. Right. Right. But that's not what's at play here. It's as he says, it is not about life is not about the human lifespan. Human lifespan is a moment in life. Uh huh. Nice. Right. Like nice. look at it differently. Look, look right. at this as a continual flow of creative and relentless energy, which is what I think God is. I don't think God's Santa Claus, a guy with a naughty and nice list and a beard, uh, which is what we get told in the Hebrew school and, you know, in, in religious school. And that just turns people, because the moment you're an adolescent, you think that's ridiculous and you walk away. But I, I think that it's more, um, we are just the drop in the ocean, the ocean and the drop. Right. Mm-hmm. And that 
we're just part the, the humility is to, to see that, which reminds me by saying the word humility. Yeah. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about Musa, right? Yes. I wanted to pick your brain about but Musa. Can I, but before you do that, yes, of course, of to course. put a wrap on it is um, there's this beautiful video of Ramdas after he'd had his stroke. Right. Or after right. he was stroked, as he says. Or yeah. Right. Oliver Shalom. Um, where he was rushed into hospital and he thought he was so enlightened and he was ready to meet his maker or meet, you know, whatever on the other side of the curtain. And, and he remembers being pushed down, like raced down the corridors and looking up from his bed. And all he saw was the pipes, the water pipes, the gas pipes, whatever pipes they were of the hospital. And he just was completely caught in the engineering and the physical nature of those pipes. And it really threw him off because he thought, well, I've, I've really got this spirituality thing sorted out. <laughs> and then he realized he didn't. And, <laughs> and I think for me, it's not whether you've got it sorted out, but it's like how, like whatever belief system you hold to, can you hold it loosely? Like, can you hold that frame loosely? Right. Because the tighter and tighter you hold the frame and say, I've got it sorted out, the more the ego puffs up. To be uncertain is uncomfortable. To be certain yeah. is ridiculous. And to be uncomfortable triggers your nervous systems and makes you even more uncomfortable. Right. So that whole piece we talked about at the beginning about certainty, about right. you know religion and being about certainty, it isn't. You know, yes. the, the kid was a gambler and so was the guy, you know, it's the way it goes, right? <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> it's just an attempt at having a meaningful life, you know, going to uh, engaging in Buddhism is an attempt to have a meaningful life. It's not like I have to become a Buddhist, but the ego part of us, you and I, we're the kind of people who go, well, then I guess I should be a rabbi. I guess I should be a Buddhist master, you know, and it's just like, oh, for God, can't you just do this? Does it have to turn into something all the time? Right. Does, does Ralph and Mo just spin off that bench? Yeah. Look who thinks he's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Musar. Okay, yes. Musar. Could you please give a brief description to folks who've never heard that word before? I say Musar, you say? Musar. What? <laughs> oh, should should I be saying potato instead of potato? <laughs> no. So tell me, what so does it mean? So musar is a path of of self growth that comes out of 18th century um, Eastern Europe. So the Litvak, the uh, the uh, Litvak, the whatever, the Litvak Jewish community. Yes. And it was a, there was a recognition that um, that people were embroiled in their religious studies, and they were losing sight of who they were in those studies. And so there were some great architects of this tradition called Musar, who said we need to actually start focusing on character development as well as. Uh, academic development or, you know, Torah development. Right. And so these schools of Musa started, the most famous person, although there were, there were rabbis before him, but the most famous one is Yisrael Salanta, who um, was born, I think, around 1810. So that's the early 19th century. 
and by about the 1830s, 1840s, had established these schools of Musar. And they would bring these yeshiva boys together, and it was just essentially boys at this time, right. who would come together with a master, or, and they would be schooled in how to become a better person. And so they'd look at things like humility and joy and arrogance and anger and all the things that make us up and say, where are you now on the dial? And how would you like to turn the dial either up or down on a particular character strength? Right. So for instance, if I understand in any way, because you've studied this much more thoroughly than I have. Uh, so compassion, that compassion has two poles to it. One is strength mm -hmm. and the other one is loving kindness. Right. So Go too far over one or the other and you throw it out of balance. And the point in the middle is the Bashira. Is that right? Bashira. 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 Yeah. So the Bashira would be, uh, can you balance these two? So well, you sorry, need so your strength for compassion, but you also need to have a loving kindness. There's not one or the other. Is that right? So yes, but there isn't one Bashira point. There's a Bashira okay. point for you. And for each individual, it might be different. Okay. Okay. So the balance, so, so objectively, you might say um, you had loving kindness at one end and strength, strength at the yeah. other side, right? So you might see someone's point of balance here and someone else's here, and you might want to jump in with your ego and go, well, you guys have it wrong. It should be in the middle, right? but, but it might be a perfect point of balance for that person. Right. So they, they might need more of their strength to be compassionate or they might need more of their loving kindness to be compassionate right. or they might need the, the 50, 50, but nobody's 50, 50. Right. Um, it could be, no, they could be, could be, could be. Yeah. Right. So, and you may go and you may think because of the way we're raised by our culture or religion or who are parents or whoever caregivers that, Oh, loving kindness. Yeah. You can never have enough of that. And it's like, Oh, so in Musa land, you'd say, so if I give all my money away to poor people, to people who've experienced homelessness and so on, that would be a full expression of loving kindness. And the answer would be no, because then you'd have nothing left to put bread on the table for your family. Right. Right. So you have to constantly go up, back up and say, am I holding to a fixed view or... Am I doing something that really serves me and helps me find that balance in the best way? So could you use Musar in counseling? Um, this is what I'm this is what yeah. I'm thinking of these days. Yeah, so I so I had a client who has a really hard time touching into their anger. And for me, the expression of anger into violence is 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 horrible, is a no-no. But anger as an emotion is beautiful. It's energy. It's, it, it, it's something that says I'm alive. And then the question is, how do I then use it out in the world in a, in a, in a righteous way, in a good way? Right? The client could not accept that they were, had any level of anger at all. Until I went to a Musar idea, which is everything's on a continuum, as you just said before. With the exam, with that exam, with the, our previous example, so with anger, I've got rage at one end, and then I've got anger, 
and then I've got um, frustration. And then all the way at the other end, I've got eye rolling. So eye roll, <laughs> like eye rolling is a really small version of anger. Microaggression. A micro, yeah. <laughs> a micro. <laughs> Once I was able to pick, like point that out that everything's on a continuum, they were like, oh my gosh, yes, then, then yes. I recognize that I have anger as well. I just call it frustration or I call it eye rolling. Right, 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 right. And then it gave us a door. It kind of cracked the door open a little bit to do more work around their anger. Turning on heel and leaving the room is anger. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's just like, I've had it with this. But yeah. you're not raging, so you've, and you're afraid of rage, I would assume, in that context, too, that I'll lose control of myself. So this is a way to kind of balance, but to also see that these, I, so for instance, humility in Musar, I always find this fascinating, right? Right, because it, it to me, it's about humility. When we use it in our language, it, it's oh, don't mind me, right? Right. I'm, standing's good. I just wanted to look at you. I'm right. fine. Right. I'm, I'm not fine. that good. I'm not like. Yeah. Could you play something on the piano? It's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, right. you know, and I don't want to show off. I'm, I, you know, I'm I, fine. I, I'm fine. But instead, it's knowing what place to inhabit in a situation or in your life. That there are times that the humil your humility says, I need to lead in this situation. Uh -huh. And other times where it says, I need to defer in this situation. It's having the humility to know what's appropriate for you in this situation. Is, is that a fair assumption? Or It is. And I would add one extra thing as well, which is going back to what we keep um, pointing towards about relationality, that it's recognizing how you came to be a good pianist, that whether if, if you have God in your life, then God gave you those gifts if you have people in your life, great teachers and so on, then, then they give you the power and the energy and the gift to be a good pianist. And so, yes, I'm a good pianist, but it's not just about me and my ego. It's about how I relate to the world and recognize that, that, that I'm receiving as much as I'm giving when I sit down and hit those ivories. Right. So now you've got me triggered on God gave me great gifts. So I, I can't relate to that because I, I, I don't think God is sitting there going, so how's Ralph today? Because <laughs> I, I don't think of God as an, a separate being. I, I think, right. and what, you know. And what gift does Ralph need today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think piano would do him. <laughs> I, I think that's my own work. But so when I, when I say God to you, what does God mean to you now? I mean, it changes, but what does it mean to you now? Yeah, well, it's 2020, right? So right. it changes. It's, I think this is why I couldn't have ever become a rabbi, because my view of God changes constantly. This last number of years, it's been, um, it, it's been um, feeling into a relationship, whether the relationship is with nature like going out and looking at a leaf or whether it's with another person, like right now between you and me, mm. I think coming back to Martin Buber, it's like God is, is the end between the I and thou. Yeah. 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 It's funny how it changes. Eh? 
Yeah, it's really funny. It's funny because it. No, makes... but why does that mean you can't be a rabbi? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, you're supposed to. It's supposed to be not. If you're not that kind of rabbi, you can be a rabbi. But if you're the kind of rabbi who reads the St. James Bible English version of Torah, where God is King and Lord and mighty, O Lord, or King of Kings of, you know, then, you know, no. Right. I mean, I don't even like it when, a, when a, a, any cleric is talking about God as, as a person, as a Disney right. person, you know, anthropomorphic God who's, a, right. you know, God is, is, is telling us and our righteousness is like, God is is a listening activity. It's 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 not a. Well, know, I say God. I say God is God is a process activity. Yeah, yeah. God is a verb. God is a verb. Yes. Right, David Cooper, Rabbi David right. Cooper's book, which I love. God is a verb, yeah. not a noun. It's not a thing. Right. Right. I, so I, it, it's hard to think of being a rabbi because. Because rabbi is like, oh, are you orthodox, conservative, reform? Are you reconstructionist? Are you renewal? Are you like, and and as soon as you say something, you've just lit, you've just stuck that label, like you just said before with Ramdas and the, yeah. the bubble, the bubble suit or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, the space suit. The space suit that I just yeah. stick this label on me, and it's like everyone goes, oh, okay, I've got. Okay, but big deal. So now you're you're a therapist, and so we stick the label of therapist on you, right? Now conscious curiosity is your thing, so you stick a, a label on you, right? So. But that's ego. Ego needs to have a decision about that. If somebody thinks of me, I, people walk up to me sometimes who heard me on the radio for years and they see me as the guy on the radio. But then these right. other ones see me as the guy on jazz radio. Then there's other people who see me from the TV. And then there's other people who don't see me at all. And then you know, who cares? <laughs> like, that's okay. Just honor the fact that they're saying hello to you. But don't yes. attach yourself to the labels they're not the reason to do or not do things, right? And besides, you, we could both wear T-shirts that say "flaky." <laughs> right. No, it's <laughs> Are you true. Rabbi? And I, and I'm I, flaky rabbi. You know. <laughs> yeah, and I could and I could wade right now into something very dangerous, which, which is, is which is <laughs> I was I was just in Zoom training for six days on in trauma therapy, right? And there was a request by a bunch of people for everyone next to their name to put their preferred pronouns. Right. And for me, that was just like, oh, another label. I understand the politics of it. And I support right. those who are struggling to find acceptance in, in a dominant world that, where they're not part of the dominant group. Right. But on the other hand, I don't want to be narrowed down yet again into a certain pronoun. Right. So I didn't put my pronoun in. And someone commented and I, I was like, well, I just want to be known by first person. If you want to talk about me, then use my name Modia. It's like, that's, I know it's another label, but it speaks more to who I am. Modia means thanking God. Right. And I just want to be known as someone who's in a process of striving for relationship with this thing called God. Right. And yeah, no, identity is, that's this whole piece about if, if the point of the exercise is presence, then it's irrelevant as to those labels because all that is is this moment and everything else has happened or hasn't happened, right? right? It's like if you say to people, if I said to you that 
three years ago that you would be at this position in your life and we'd be doing this podcast together. Nice. You'd go, oh, well, I doubt that podcast. I don't do podcasts, you know. Uh, so we have all these, you know, uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell them, tell her your plans, right? You know, right. that kind of thing. Right. Um, but it, it all is about trying to nail it down, the certainty of things. I'm a him, her. I am a him, a he. Right. I am gender fluid. And I, the other thing to remember, though, is there's a generational divide on that question, on that issue. That, that my older sons in their 30s have no, this is part of their conversation in the world. And right. ours, we had to get, you know, I had to, when my 30 year olds were little kids and came home from school and went, well, that guy, you know, that guy is Stephen, he's so gay. And I had to sit them down and go, okay, come here. I want you from now on, when you're about to say gay, say Jew. Mm. He's, such, he's such a Jew. And then see how you feel as a Jew saying that about somebody, that they, they've been targeted at this point for being something and that it's not a good thing. And they at first tried to slough me off, but I, I kept on them at it. And eventually they just dropped it. They stopped saying, hey, this person's so gay as if it was nothing, right? right. So that was the struggle then, you know, 25, 27 years ago. Now it's about acceptance, you know, uh, and sometimes I think I don't do him, he, when I write things, because generationally it's just not something I was brought up with. But sometimes I think to myself, perhaps I should be companioning people. Yes. Right. Just right. letting them know that, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll jump in the pool, uh, you know, and that way we'll all be swimming. Right. I think it's a really hard question. It's like, I, I have that same thought as well. Do we companion each other or do I hold to my life and honor you and have you honor me and mine? So whether it's I'm sitting on the edge yeah, of the pool yeah. as Modia and you are sitting in the pool as they or whatever pronoun you prefer. Um, right. Like, can we both honor each other? without forcing the other to change. Yeah, except from a point of privilege of, of being right. you know, a, a straight white male, sitting on the edge of the pool is a lot easier than uh, a friend of mine who uh, be became a woman mm -hmm. uh, a, a, in the physical sense as well. And the, the life she leads is, is one of constant petty humiliations and major humiliations. Right. So, you know, maybe I should just get in the pool and swim along right. and just go, okay, I'm, I'm with you. Right. I don't know. It's no, easy I for me to that. say, cause you know, you brought it up and I get to look like the good guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I hear this is nothing. Yeah. And it, and it's a struggle and it's, yeah. uh, no, it's all a struggle because, you know, uh, being dominant culture person, it's like in Canada, 2% of the population is Jewish. So if it's a high holiday and you're, it's Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, and you're walking to synagogue, everybody else is just doing their thing. Mm -hmm. Variety stores open, the cars are whizzing by. And so Israel, even though they claim to be a secular society, you could ride a tricycle down the major highway from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and not get hit by a car because everybody knows it's Yom Kippur and just it's, it's the day you just take a break. You, you know, go visit a synagogue for 20 minutes. So dominant culture matters, right? Because it, so. 
right? It's oxygen around you. Like Friday afternoon in Israel is palpable. Right. Even if, even if everybody says, you know, 70% say they're secular, it's Shabbat and your kind of stores are kind of speeding up to close and everybody's kind of already taken a half day off and, you know, you're in the groove here. You're on your own. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're right. You did get to play the good guy. <laughs> and, and I think not in my defense, but in like a bit more of an explanation that I want to, as a therapist, I want yeah. to bring my true full self to the session, to the situation, to, to right. the relationship. And I, and I want to share with my clients, this is where I'm at. I'm human. I'm with you. So yes, I'm a therapist on the one hand, and on the other hand, I can rip that label off and just be me. That's beautiful. But that, that, that's authenticity, because without authenticity, none of the things we've been talking about matter. Right. Presentational you, uh-huh. you know, sitting yourself in just the right place for authority in the room and, you know, making sure that everyone knows what yeah. you do these days. <laughs> you know, that's, that's our ego and that's our resistance, right? Right. So, so, I have a, so how has it been for you? So I remember, I think, I think I was in my last year of high school when I saw you on TV on a late night, running a late night talk show on CBC. Right, right. Would that have been right? Like 79-ish? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, 70, 79? No, I would have been on radio. Whenever? Uh, when were on you? Midday. On Midday. Midday was a, a current affairs lunchtime show right. and Valerie Pringle did for CBC. Oh, yeah. It was oh, a yeah. network lunchtime current affairs show. Okay. And that, no, but even then, <clears throat> no, it wouldn't have been 79. That's impossible. It would have been 89 because oh, 89. 79, I was four years out of high school. Right. Okay. 89. So, so you've been a TV celebrity. You've been a radio celebrity. I, yeah. I also listened to you as a DJ or a host right. on Jazz right. FM. Right. How, like right now, uh-huh. if this is an interview, if we're calling this an interview, how does it feel different for you than when you were interviewing, you know, whoever on the couch back, th- back in those days? Well, for me, the central craft piece of my life is interviewing. The celebrity stuff is, is awkward. Mm. Uh, when it existed, it was it was just awkward. Uh, I, you know, it's like you're picking your nose in an airport, and you realize someone's looking at you, and you're like, "Oh my god, yes, it's me," and I'm picking my nose, and never mind. Or you're, you know, you're pissed off at your kid at Shoppers Drug Mart, and this person's just staring at you. But I thought he was a TV, per- you know. So it's all ridiculous. <laughs> um, but what I would say is that interviewing itself, to me is an art form Um, and it has translated its way into every aspect of my life in terms of being able to listen and being able to reflect and being able to um, pull away yourself and let people see the person you're, you're interviewing. This, what we're doing now is more of a, it just complete interchange because we both have podcasts. This will be on, so it's nice. it's just us jamming. But if I was interviewing you, it's about the same things that spiritual counseling is about. It's about the same thing. I I ended up for about 
God, about eight years being an advisor to senior level people, literally their advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there it was about really discerning what's going, what yearnings are in this person and what is, when they go, well, what should I do? And instead of, you know, well, I think, <laughs> well, what do you want to do? You right. know, and, and how can we get you there? And, and do you feel comfortable with where this is moving and, uh, and communicating with people, you know, so communication and interviewing are the things that, you know, shape my life. So what I do now uh, is still mostly about facilitating conversations. You know, when I'm at the Jewish men's retreat and we have our circles, our mishpacha groups, our little groups where we speak with each other, um, my, my role in, the, in the, that group is to leave, me, leave my ego over here hmm. and just be present for these people and try to, through my skill set of knowing how to navigate a group of people so that everybody's heard, that's what's asked of me. This person isn't, isn't speaking, is a gentle way to try to bring them into the conversation. I'm not going to force them. This person has been speaking a lot. I'm going to find a way to, to without shaming them, move away to the next person so that, okay, then I need to orchestrate this a little more. Okay, now I need to just let this happen. Uh, That's the art of a conversation, the art of an interview. And I had a great teacher um, at CBC. uh, And they taught me uh, the art of interviewing. Uh, which is lay a foundation, pursue those things that come up out of that foundation, and then mop up at the end, like we're doing now. We're mopping up. We're just extra little bits. Right, right. Right. It's like, by the way, before you leave, I'd like to ask you, you know. Right. Uh, But the foundation is is just the same as it is in a therapeutic environment, creating an alliance and and a trust with that person to allow them to come out. Mm-hmm. People who start interviews with pursuing people, so you you did this. It's like okay, I'm going to go hide in a corner, right. and whatever you ask me is dangerous to me. So I'm not. So politicians constantly, you know, tough guy interviewing uh, dictates that you're supposed to nail them, and you've only got five minutes. Right, like like I saw you in Shoppers Drug Mart picking your nose. Yeah, yeah. What where where do I about? go? Yeah, where do I go? Right. <laughs> I, I, I go to inside thinking, you're not nice. So is no. this what we're doing here? You're out to get me? Okay. Well, then I'll just do, because I've, I teach people how to avoid uncomfortable interviews as well, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're being pursued in a way that makes them uncomfortable. It's zoom out. Right. Don't, don't answer the question they asked you. They're trying to trap you. Mm-hmm. Zoom out. And from that higher vantage point, you pivot and bridge to the thing that you care about. So if you say, so you're trying to um, stop businesses from opening up. And I say, so what we're trying to do is find a space that's safe enough for people to move about in a pandemic. And it's an imperfect art and we have been trying different ways to do it. But if you've noticed the numbers are really high right now and people are dying. Might not be you, might be, so I'm gone. (laughs) <laughs> I've just pivoted and bridged to what I want to talk about right. as opposed to, well, no, I mean, you know, I'm business is important. And so I'm in their frame. So this is all communication stuff. Right. Interviewing is a different thing for me as an interviewer. Uh, 
I have a deep sense of spiritual responsibility in an interview. It is not a secular activity to me. That's, that's amazing. That's what I was asking, I think, about where your spirit sits in an interview. I think you right. Went... So it's, yeah, it's holy listening, no matter where you're doing it, mm -hmm. right? Honoring people doesn't mean that if they, so I had a guy on my podcast who was saying things about climate change, like the sun's thermometer is, thermostat is broken. It's, it's not us. We've got nothing to do with it. You know, I've spent 15 years in the environmental movement in one way or another. I, I but what did, what did I do? First, I, I sort of half gasped because it was just so overwhelming <laughs> that somebody would say something like this. But then I just drew them out. I, so it, like in good conflict resolution, you, should, you become more curious, mm. conscious curiosity. If, if you're a Trump supporter and I'm not, instead of trying to wing you and beat you, I get, so what is it about Trump that, that really attracts you? Right. Well, you know, he's bringing back jobs. Do you know which jobs he's bringing back? Well, the economy's roaring. I mean, the stock market is, is you know, up, up, up. Do you, do you tell me why you think the stock market being up is good for you? Hmm. Right. And, and you're not trying to embarrass somebody. You're, if you really believe these things, then you probably don't understand that, for instance, because 50% of the stock market is owned by 1% of the population. <laughs> so it's hardly a barometer of how the economy is doing. And yet every media outlet will tell you uh, what the Dow Jones is up, the NASDAQ is up, the, you know, the yen is worth. So what are you talking about? You're talking about in hieroglyphics about nothing for people's lives, right? So, and that's the other thing. I truly believe that our responsibilities are being abdicated to educate ourselves, to actually, you know, read a book, turn off that thing, read a book, mm -hmm. like a real book about a topic. I don't care if it supports my point of view or not, but read one, Right. you know, get, get some thoughts into your, into your system that you, you can struggle with. So that I think, um, I know we're coming to the end. You said it is wrap up time. Yes, it is wrap up. Right? Yeah. Um, which is a great segue, what you just said, into what I like to do at the end of my podcast is ask, I'd like to ask you three questions. Go right ahead. Yeah. The first question, where are my questions? Ah. Ah. There you go. I'm going to have to make some. The Lord did not want you to ask me these questions. Okay, it's true. Ahead. It's true. So the first question is, because you were just talking about read a book. Yeah. Um, are you reading a book right now? I always read several books at the same time. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm rereading 20 years later, Everyday Holiness, the Musar book from right. uh, Alan Mar on Marinus, uh, which I have to say is, I think is probably the best written book in English on Musar. If, you, if anyone's looking for what's the one book on Musar to read, I actually think Everyday Holiness by Alan Marinus. And don't think I didn't notice your name being there in the thanks, by the way. <laughs> I, I picked up on that, my friend. Um, so I'm reading that. I am wading through on Kindle, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, because I didn't, if I'd seen it as a book, I wouldn't have read it. Martin Gilbert's Winston Churchill biography. 
so that that's just easy. I love history, so it's an easy read because the you know the other stuff is is denser. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, reading. I I was reading, and I've kind of put it down. Um, the Hindu philosophy of uh, Avaita Vedanta, which is what Tolley's a lot of Tolley's work is is based on that idea of absolute presence. Um, but it's written in scriptural and uh, r- rhetorical form, so it's it's hard to have. I get it; you're hitting me over the head with it. But uh, it, it was it was good to 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 wade into it. And uh, yeah, so those are three right now. But okay. uh, I'm also in a book club, so we we end up reading. I just read from the uh, from the Ashes, which is a Canadian book, Métis writer, very nice. good, very yeah. nice. Okay, question two. Two. That was just question one. (laughs) Okay, so I have this little book, and on every page, there's a different question. Okay. So I'm going to flip through. You tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. So the last person actually had the very same question. So can I flip to the next page? Oh, do you want fine. this or do you want this no, one? No, that's where that's where you landed. We have okay. to do the question. Okay. And, and then you can compare the, the answers. <laughs> right. You sound so religious right now. No, that's where we landed. We have to do the question. <laughs> I'll take that as a pejorative on the religion thing. <laughs> yeah. Continue. Okay. If what's in your dreams wasn't already inside of you, how could you even dream it? You couldn't. Okay. Perfect. Okay, that's the answer. And the third question, because I cannot find my questions of my brain these days, given my age, kind of slips things. I hear you. Is um, what would you like the third question to be? When are we going to rise and awaken ourselves? to the reality that's not just this present moment, but this present moment for this entire planet. Wow. Wow. Very nice. So could we leave it at that? Because as you said earlier, sometimes questions are more important than answers. I always believe questions are more important than answers. Whenever I think I have an answer, it's like uh, I look over my shoulder and think, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Right. <laughs> this thing's rigged. All right. So I'll, I'll say my goodbye. You say your goodbye. So my goodbye, uh, I always uh, end my show often with a blessing. So I'll, I'll have a blessing for you. So Moja, uh, my blessing for you in remembrance of beginning to bump into you when we both had different lives than the ones we have now and different families than the ones we have now. Now we have bigger. Is my blessing is to honor the journey, the authenticity of your journey, the desire to to heal yourself and those around you with your gifts and the sincerity with which you lead your life. So I bless you for that. And I bless your children uh, and your wife and all those people who have loved you and who you love. Thank you. That's really, 
I got it in. And once we end this podcast, I have to sit for a little while and let it kind of pinball bounce around inside because <laughs> that, that was really beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. And Ralph, thank you so much for um, sharing all you are. Um, our knowing each other and friendship goes back, I think, decades. Yeah. Decades. And it's really been sweet to spend this time with you and hear about you as a spiritual non-director. Maybe that's what you should be called. <laughs> I'm a spiritual non-director because you're not directing, you're just you're just being and sharing so your, sharing. Move that over here, a little to the left. <laughs> yeah. That that uh, that your presence is really wonderful to be with. And it's been a pleasure. So thank, thank you very you. much. You're welcome. Moja Silver has been my guest on Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with me, Facebook page, Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, my Twitter account is at Ralph Ben And I always love to hear from people. Uh, like and enjoy as much as you want. And uh, you can find us on any podcatcher. Just Google Not That Kind of Rabbi. It'll come up on all of them. And there's lots of episodes to choose from. So take care of each other and I'll, I'll see you again.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.